Welcome back to Christ and Kingdom, everyone. On this episode, we're talking about why theology matters. I'm Ryan Musselman. I'm joined by Pastor Emilio Ramos. Emilio, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing wonderful, brother. Thank you so much. Excited for episode number two. Yeah, me too. Let's get right into it. Why theology matters. So today we're going to be talking about the importance of theology, yes, but how do we approach theology? And maybe most important of all, how do we build theology that is sound, that is healthy, the type of theology that edifies and builds up? So Emilio, really basic here. What is the definition of theology for our new listeners? And let's start unpacking that a little bit. You know, you would think it's a really basic question. It is a basic question, but you would think that we um, that we live it out, that we actually self-consciously embrace the definition of theology. A theology simply means the study of God, right? It comes from theos and logos. And together, it means the study of God. Now, that's a very, very, very simple definition. In Christian terms, theology can be articulated something like this. Theology is the study of the triune God of Scripture as revealed in the Bible. Because we have to articulate that in a sense to confine ourselves to God's infallible word, right? And how God has revealed himself. Uh, we can't. We're not just. We're, we're not just talking about bare theism. We're not just talking about the idea of God. We, theology is the development of God's self-disclosure in His Word, and so in that sense, we are confined to the Word of God. But also, man, when you think about theology being the study of God, okay, according to His Word, right? This really brings into view the the necessity. Uh, to do theology. I think for so many Christians, Ryan, people don't want to do theology anymore. They want theology in a sense kind of handed to them or they want, I mean, how many times as a pastor am I giving books that are easy to people, right? Because that's what they want. Like, where can I find a simple book? I just need an easy book on this or easy book on that, right? And I get it. I understand, you know, some people, okay, um, taking into account our lives. I mean, people are working nine to five, people are working, people have got kids and families and, you know, very little time. And and, and I totally understand that. Nevertheless, every believer has an obligation to know God. Every believer has the obligation to, to study the word of God. As scripture says that we study, we show ourselves approved, the workmen rightly dividing the word of truth, not being ashamed, right? We are told in second Peter chapter three, grow in the grace and knowledge uh, of, of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we want to increase in our knowledge of him. You look at the Psalm, Psalm 19, Psalm 119. Uh, those two Psalms, you know, they, they are Torah Psalms. They're, they're the Psalms of the word of God, that the word of God is vast, the sum of God's commands, right? I, the Psalmist declares, I've seen the perfection of all things, but right. Like, uh, like his commandment is exceedingly broad, right? The vastness of the word of God. We are word-centered creatures uh, as believers, right? And as believers, we are to orient our lives around the holy scriptures. And and and, and here's something I want to maybe emphasize just 
very simple point, but I think something that needs to be really, really grasped by the church today. And that is that in times past, let's, you know, let's just go back to the Puritan times, you know, no cell phones, no tablets, no technology, no Teslas, you know, definitely, definitely no Neuralinks, you know, or anything like that, right? But a time when it was less distracting, in some ways, maybe um, less efficient. But there was a time in which uh, uh, Christians of generations ago, they just thought deeper about God. Right now, for example, Ryan, you know, in studying the doctrine of God, studying the doctrine of the Trinity, I'm going back to older voices uh, of this, not only the Reformers, but Church Fathers and others, Thomas Aquinas, Peter Lombard. These people that thought very deeply about the doctrine of God and the Trinity, whether they were you know, Roman Catholic or Christian or what have you, the point is that their lives revolved around meditating on who God was. Their lives revolved around making advancement and progress in the study and in the knowledge of God. They really sought to try to understand him, to try to understand his who he was, his nature, his works, his redemption, and his and his will for our lives. And I just think for modern Christians, maybe a disadvantage is, is that we want everything so instantaneous. We want everything handed to us so quickly. Um, but anybody that's done serious exegesis, serious theology, you understand that that's not always the case. It's not that simple um, to, to gather a real lasting and significant and life-changing understanding of God and of the gospel and of the person and work of Jesus Christ. It takes time. Uh, just recently at, at, uh, at church, um, I put together a study list for people that want to engage, let's say, in serious apologetics, even open-air preaching, and really kind of have like that ministry where you kind of take on all comers and you answer questions about the Christian worldview. And the reading list, you know, the reading list was extensive. And some people gawked at that, like, wow, you know, um, which for me would involve learning the languages. You need to converse, especially with Greek. I would tell you to study Hebrew as well. Well, if you pick up any Greek grammar, you know, the percentages of people actually learning and retaining their Greek today, I mean, is very, very slim. I think like 98% of people fall off, <laughs> fall off from uh, retaining their Greek. That's a, and that's pastors and everybody else, you know, it's not easy. Uh, but, but the study of theology, what theology is, is the study and contemplation of God as it is revealed in Holy Scripture. And that is not an easy task. And we don't want to short circuit that process either. Okay. Because we just, we, we do that to our own detriment. You know, it's kind of like an athlete. He wants to be able to, you know, shoot like Kobe. Let's think of some modern players, you know, he wants to be able to shoot like Steph Curry and jump like LeBron James, you know, but he wants to just put in a very, very limited time in the gym. And I mean, it's just not going to happen. You know what I mean? You have to put in the work. So, I mean, those are just some initial thoughts that I have about theology in general. Now, if I'm a newcomer and I want to start studying theology, 
How do you direct that person? Where do they start? With any process, there's the the beginning where you, maybe you're getting your feet wet with some introductory type information and you're getting more and more advanced. Do they start with Greek or do they start with a something like Lewis Burkhoff's summary of Christian doctrine? Where would you send someone if you if they came up and found you on the street and asked you how to start studying theology? Oh, I tell you what, the very first thing I would determine, Ryan, is whether or not that person has read the Bible. Um, and I would insist that there is no replacement, no substitute whatsoever for a good reading of the Bible and a season of your life where you are reading the Bible constantly. And so I would I would challenge people, number one, get a good Bible translation. Obviously, for me, it's going to be the NASB. Um, I like the ESV Bible. I know it's very popular. Um, and I'd be happy with the ESV Bible. If somebody told me today, well, you, you know, you're stuck with the ESV for the rest of your life. Okay. Um, I would have some, you know, I would have some issues with it, you know, here and there. But get a good literal translation, get a New King James, get an ESV, or get a New American Standard Bible, okay, something like that, right? And then read your Bible meticulously and read your Bible regularly. After you have read your Bible cover to cover, go back and read it again. I don't care if you have a Bible reading plan, but go back and continue to read it again. Now, at some point, I will tell people that what they want to start doing with the Bible is outlining the Bible. In some seminaries, you can't graduate until you can actually outline the whole Bible, okay? Uh, which just means just give a basic outline of every chapter, all right? When you start diving into the Word of God like that, just sitting there outlining the Word of God and, and following the thought of Scripture, you know, those kinds of things, great. The next thing that I would do is I would create sort of a system of taking uh, the reading and studying of the Word of God serious. Um, you know, Ryan, I know for me, very, very early on, I had a place to study. I had a desk in my room. Um, this is before I was in full-time ministry, pastoring, or doing anything. Uh, I was... I was uh, I was working full-time job. Um, you know, I had a lot of stuff I was doing in my life at the time, but I had a, a place where I studied uh, intentionally. It wasn't just a haphazard approach. It was like, this is where I go when I want to study the Bible. And so for a lot of Christians, devotional life or the devotional uh, type of approach to the Bible has really eliminated the whole concept of studying the Bible. And I think we need to recover that very, very much so. I think that is essential what you just said. The devotional studies have kind of replaced this idea of going deep in scripture, of being able to exegete or outline certain themes or even just a basic paragraph. And a lot of that can be attributed to the seeker sensitive movement where you're getting a mix of uh, a vision casting leader, and they're teaching and some, you know, maybe phrase taken out of the Bible uh, and, and reworked, right? Or, or maybe a sentence there. That, that doesn't get you to deep study of theology, but going deep and reading it cover to cover does. 
How do you supplement that as well? If you're going cover to cover, how do you supplement that with good Christian resources? Maybe even a book recommendation. Where, where does someone start yeah. and really, really go deep? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. So at some point, you know, once I think a person has really studied, uh, re- have, has really adequately read uh, the Bible and is in a is in a, a practice and a habit of reading their Bible, at some point, what I want to I want to um, I want to counsel people to do is to start building a library. You got to start building a library with various resources. And let me just say this, as far as applying ourselves, Ryan, I know a lot of Christians who, you know, struggle, let's say, with studying the Bible. How many Christians have I met that say, well, I don't even like to read. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a reader. You know what I mean, I can listen to a podcast or something like that. You know what I mean? Watch something on YouTube, but I'm not much of a reader. Okay. And I get that. But here's the thing is I have often found that that is uh, on the part of a lot of people very disingenuous because when you think about people's vocations, their careers, what they do for a living, a lot of times those people are forced to do a lot of research and study and preparation. You have to learn manuals and protocols. You have to understand data and data entry. And, and it's amazing if we just jumped into one another's vocations, you know, and try to understand, well, what's, you know, what's it like in your industry and how does, man, you do all that, you understand all that, you research all of that, you know, that sounds like a lot. So people are doing brain work, (laughs) you know, people are exercising their mental uh, capacities, you know, in order to obtain the knowledge that they have deemed important enough, right, that they're willing to put in the grueling hours, do whatever it takes to continue to, you know, have a, have a good, standard of living or whatever. And so in th- with that same passion and commitment, we, we need to transfer that over to Bible study. You need to start building a library. And so I definitely highly recommend that you get uh, Bible dictionaries, uh, get uh, get a Bible encyclopedia, get a lexicon and a concordance. Of course, all these things are readily available on software. Get Bible software like Lagos or or Accordance or something like that. If you want something for free, there's eSword, you know, and different things online where you can, there's the Blue Letter Bible. There's all these resources online and and through Bible software where you can quickly get some very simple tools to help you navigate and Go and just kind of enrich your study of the Bible. At some point, you need to get, in addition to a lexicon and in, in addition to a Bible dictionary, you need to you need to get a good Bible encyclopedia. You know, I would get, I'd probably get the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. You know, what I mean, edited by Bromley, for example, four volumes, excellent, exhaustive information, fascinating. I would get something like that. Every house, every parent, every father, every mother. Every home should have a Bible study bookshelf where these resources are there, right? You don't have to go out and spend $10,000, but you should go out and little by little, you're just increasing your, uh, you're increasing your, your, your library, your home library. And then I'm going to make a real case for the fact that you need to purchase good commentaries. I would begin with expositional commentaries like MacArthur's commentaries uh, or preaching the word series by Kent Hughes, 
commentaries like that that are at a more expositional level. And then from there, I would go into an intermediate commentary, a commentary that's going to really start diving deeper into issues like background information and exegesis and grammar. And here and there, you'll get a Greek word here and there, a Hebrew word here and there. And it just goes a little bit deeper than a sermon, right? That's that's more of a scholarly kind of academic book for research thinking of like the the hendrix the hendrix hendrickson set hendrickson and kistemacher that set on the new testament would be a perfect example the expositor set something like that that is a bit deeper than ser- that that sermons that have been collected as as commentaries or care commentaries that have been collected from sermons so you'd need both you need the john macarthur sermon but you also need a sermon that's a little bit more advanced than that because that's how you grow. That's how you're going to go the extra mile. That's how you're going to jump another hurdle. That's how you're going to leap a little bit higher and a little bit farther as an athlete. Same thing in the theological world. You have to stretch. You have to go beyond, you see? But guess what? You also don't want to make the mistake of giving a young person, right, (laughs) Uh, the same fitness goals that LeBron James has when they're just starting out. I mean, that that would be ludicrous. So you don't want to start out by giving somebody a dense theology book, a technical systematic theology or biblical theology. What's going to happen is they're going to look at that. They're going to get intimidated. It's a thousand pages long, totally complicated. I don't get it. I don't understand it. And they're, it, it's going to turn them off. So we want to start people off right. And we, you know, this is obviously part of discipleship, but, but there you go, brother. I would say you start building your, your theological resource. You start at, at, you know, Get a get a um, you know, get a study Bible. Get an ESV study Bible. Get the Reformation study Bible. Get a MacArthur study Bible. Get study Bibles that begin to already train you to think expositionally. You see, uh, and then from there, of course, you will go on into more advanced theology. That that in and of itself is worth a re-listen. So make sure that you go back and and listen to that that part of the the episode because there's you, you mentioned a number of resources there and one in particular that i'll call out that you, you mentioned at the end the macarthur study bible is phenomenal it's it's great it's a great resource as you're just starting out plenty of reference tools and there are plenty plenty of references and and, and a good way to uh cross-reference different pieces of scripture and, and bring them back into uh to focus to get more of the full picture of the, of the bible let's um Let's talk about the connection between theology and and spirituality. We had this as a note. I, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on that. Can you unpack that a little bit for us and and really explain to the audience what you mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, God in growing us as His disciples wants both. He really wants all of us, right? The Shema of Israel. You know, part of that is that with our whole strength, our whole heart, our whole soul, God wants whole-souled worship to Him. And what that means is that He doesn't just want a bunch of intellectuals running around the church, right? That know a lot of things but do very little. Uh, Consequently, he does not want a bunch of pragmatists in the church either that run around doing a bunch of stuff, but never growing in their knowledge of God. We want to grow in knowledge, but we also want to grow in grace. We want to grow in uh, theology, 
but we also want to grow in our theology of practice, what's known as orthopraxy, right? So we want orthodoxy and orthopraxy at the same time. We want head and we want hands. We want our heart and our hands and our head to all go together. And so I would just say, you know, um, the spirituality of, of, of a person that is pursuing theology, you know, has to be dedicated to communion with God, prayer, good deeds, good works that accompany good doctrine. And so I think as long as we are pursuing that, and maybe some very practical ways that you can ensure that you'll do that. For as much theology as you're learning, hopefully in the context of your local church, you are also serving, right? For as much doctrine as you are excited about, hopefully you are similarly excited about you know, uh, loving one another, doing what Scripture calls the one another's of Scripture, engaging in love and good deeds. I mean, that, you know, we, we can't ever get to the point where we think that God cares more about my theology than he does about my deeds, right? Um, uh, he tells, you know, he, he tells the, 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 the church in Revelation uh, that, uh, you know, that they love theology, they love the doctrine. They they can't stand you know they can't stand the uh, they can't stand the Nicolaitans. The, the, they can't stand the heretics. But at the same time, they have forgotten their first love. So they've neglected, you know, they have neglected the love of God in their contemplation of God. And so we don't want to do that either. We don't want to we don't want to just be uh, you know heavy on apologetics, heavy on abstract truth but very, very light in our fruit and very, very light in our practical application of those truths. That's kind of a contradiction. We'd be walking around as a contradiction. And so we don't want that. Definitely not. And there's different, there's just so many different areas you can start studying theology. There's biblical theology, there's systematic theology, historical theology, practical theology. Mm-hmm. Where should someone start or what, what is most important in as they get up and running? Oh, that's really, that's really a great question. You're right. When someone comes to theology, there are all these schools, there's all these disciplines and all these categories. And maybe I failed to mention, you know, I would really encourage people if you're young in the faith or know somebody that's young in the faith, you know, in addition to going to church and listening to the, to the sermon and receiving of the means of grace, you know, make sure and direct them to read the confessions. I mean, I have on my desk, you know, I have a leather edition of both the Westminster Confession and the London Baptist. Um, and I have other se- several others, right? But, but to just be reading through the confessions, right, as a, as a means of discipleship, to read a small catechism, a shorter catechism, whether it's Westminster or anything else, this will at least begin to put together for people, you know, the basic components of the faith. I mean, we, we believe that scripture teaches the faith once for all delivered to the saints. When it says the faith, it's referring to the fact that Christianity consists of a body of doctrine, apostolic teaching, apostolic tradition or doctrine, and that our job in the church is to elucidate this for the people of God. And so I would definitely uh, direct them in that 
in the, in that area right there. Uh, but obviously, you know, I would get people probably first and foremost, I would get people to study a very basic introduction to systematic theology. Uh, I can think of resources like Lewis Burkhoff, The Summary of Christian Doctrine. Something on the order of that, that can expose people to historic reformed orthodoxy. And then from there to branch out into other fields, to begin, like you said, to study things like biblical theology and reading a very basic, basic resource on biblical theology, like from Edmund Clowney, The Unfolding Mystery, uh, you know, uh, uh, books like that. Um, you know, uh, historical theology, you know, is also very important. And people can do historical theology if they read biographies, uh, if they you know, if they study church history, if they pick up a volume, let's say, by Philip Choff or by Justo Gonzalez or Bruce Shelley or something like that, where they can just pick up a very simple, uh, you know, volume on church history and start exposing themselves uh, to what Christians have believed, you know, get get the creeds and confessions by Philip Choff. Understand what are the various creeds throughout Christendom that have developed? What are the various controversies that went on? Read the Nicene Creed, read the Athanasian Creed, read what happened at these councils and understand how theology developed over time and and how we got to where we are leading up to to the Reformation and beyond. You know, those those things are extremely extremely important. And just to admonish our listeners, getting Lewis Burkhoff's Summary of Christian Doctrine, I think, is essential for every every Christian home. <laughs> I have it digitally and I have it physically, just because it's so ABC, very, very literal, gives you a bunch of scriptural references you can dive in and study. But then to supplement that, The Unfolding Mystery, which is the first book I ever read when I got to Heritage Grace, and that one blew me away. That is that is a great read. Again, uh, I, I, my belief it's essential for every Christian household and you should read it twice a year. So great book. These are good resources that prevent us from getting into pitfalls. But what are some of the pitfalls in theological pursuits that someone can run into, whether early on or maybe even in more complicated situations? Oh, sure. Well, maybe I'll just think about my own pitfalls uh, over mm. time. Uh, mm -hmm. pitfalls, mistakes, things that you did because you were short-sighted on some issue or another. You know, I have often mm -hmm. maintained that um, I probably, in my opinion, I may have spent, you know, uh, I may have spent way too much time as a young Christian uh, trying to uh, decipher eschatology. And, and, and let me explain what I mean by that. You know, I latched on to things that I thought were the most important to me, like understanding when is Jesus going to return? <laughs> you know, what are the signs of the, of the last days? Of course, growing up as a dispensationalist, growing up as a premillennialist, as a pre-tribulationalist, you know, I was always looking for the signs of the rapture and, and things like that. But, you know, I just, I found out that I, I probably spent too many months and years uh, just on this little sliver of theology. And I failed to kind of branch out and look at the broader theological encyclopedia. And I think people can do that today. So be careful that even as a mature Christian who is studying deeper theology, be careful. Let's say, let's say for example, Ryan, let's say you love biblical theology. You read something by Gerhardus Voss or G.K. Beale and man, you're just 
you're just going for it with biblical theology. Well, be careful that in your biblical theology, don't neglect apologetics. Don't neglect systematic theology, okay? Don't neglect church history, okay, as if those things don't matter. And so I would just say being very careful not to neglect uh, those other important, important fields. That happens to me often, you know, even in the ministry as a pastor, where because I'm so focused on something I'm developing, I'm studying, I'm really excited about, right? Then, like, I'll just kind of randomly go pick up a book on church history or something. And then it's like, man, I completely forgot what this was all about. You know what I mean? Like, you know, mm-hmm. this like how rich, how rich church history is. I, I just forgot how rich, how much I used to love reading church history because mm. it's been a while. So I would just say, just be careful that your own personal interests don't get in the way of becoming well-rounded in your theology. And in doing so, what has what has helped you along the way? I mean, is there? I guess you kind of answered it. I was going to say, is there anything you would have done differently um, or anything you'd recommend to someone that uh, wants to really go deep in, into one? Like, you know, yeah. you know me, I'll, I'll go study biblical theology, no problem. But um, is there different <laughs> ways that that people all day long, like right? when you're first starting long. out? Yeah, all day long, all day long. Is there is there things that are better to start out with at first? Maybe like if you could go back, would you have done something differently and started more with biblical theology or more in apologetics? I mean, is is there a system for starting first and getting to second and third and, and so on that uh, really helps you out? There's no question that my my first uh, sort of exposure and my first love as a Christian was apologetics. Uh, mm. I just, I read everything. I read everything I could get my hands on, apologetics, everything on bibliology, everything on the canon of scripture, everything that I could get my hands on refuting Christian, you know, pseudo-Christian cults like Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, you know, everything I can get my yeah. hands on on is, Islam and everything, you know, refuting evolution and atheism. I, that So I would say probably for me personally, I spent probably five years too long researching, you know, the same topics let's say from a different author, same topics, a lot of the same information, you know what I mean? Where I could have probably spent more time really, really solidifying what I believed about soteriology, what my understanding of the Trinity, my understanding of, uh, you know, uh, the sovereignty of God, my, my understanding of election, my understanding of biblical theology, you know? So, so I think for me personally, it was, it was uh, a lot of apologetics up front, uh, to the point where I probably neglected a lot of very important subjects, you know what I mean? And now looking back, boy, I tell you what, I I really wish I could have spent five or 10 more years on biblical theology than, that, than what I did. Also, um, systematic theology has a way of maybe kind of giving us the wrong impression. And let me tell you what I mean. If you look at any systematic theology, the way that it's typically structured is you have a prolegomena, you have doctrine of God, and then you have like the doctrine of man, you have, you know, and then from there you're going to get into soteriology and ecclesiology. And if you go all the way through a basic systematic theology like Burkhoff or Grudem or whatever, at the very end is eschatology. <laughs> and you get the impression that eschatology, not only is it the last in order, but maybe it's the last in importance. And so you tend to believe like eschatology 
is not as essential for understanding scripture as it really is. And so that could be a way that a person does not approach the subject of theology the right way, not recognizing how primary eschatology rightly defined rightly right as long as we rightly define eschatology not just um, the timing of the return the millennial debates right but eschatological hermeneutics of how eschatology influences our interpretation of scripture a lot of times man we we neglect that because we think well it's at the end it's tertiary secondary issue (laughs) a lot of people are intimidated by eschatology so they don't study it because it's very difficult, it's hard to understand. There's so many competing voices and views, right? But that may be a pitfall, if you would, of a person that sees eschatology at the end and thinks, oh, it's last in importance as well. That is, uh, that's a misstep for sure. Yeah, you're often studying eschatology. You may not even know that you're doing it, right? It's it's far more... <laughs> fluid throughout all of scripture than uh, than people care to realize. Um, let me ask you something here. Two questions. What's one bad influence when it comes to studying theology or, or that has been a bad influence on you? And what, what's one good one? Let's start with the bad first. Oh boy, a bad influence in studying theology, huh? Well, I would, or, or a I would, theological influence that well, some of the main ones that that people can run into, right? I didn't word that right. Sure. No, no, no. I understand. Yeah. No, I would just say, like, you know, any theology that doesn't take into account the history of Christian thought is something you need to be careful of, right? Because we don't like, like, modern theology, right? Did not start in the 20th, 21st century. Like, you know, we have to understand that theology has a historical development, right? We, as as great as we think our generation is as moderns, we have to understand that those that went before us really laid the groundwork. I mean, you think of John Calvin, for example, in his teens, as a teenager, he's writing the first draft of the Institutes. And as in his, in his early 20s, um, John Calvin is writing the Institutes, and that work becomes the plumb line for systematic theology for 500 years. Everything is patterned, if you would, after the Institutes. I mean, you go from Calvin to, let's say, Turretin. From Turretin, you're going to go to uh, uh, Bavink and Hodge, and from Hodge, and you're going to go to Burkhoff, and from Burkhoff, you're going to go to a lot of the modern day uh, uh, systematic theologies. But think about that. I mean, right? Our theology does not begin in our own time, in our own with our own modern author. So I would just say maybe one bad influence is this idea that if it's new, if it's an attractive cover, if it's a if it's a you know it's a popular author, that it's the most beneficial for you, or that it's the most important book you need to read. When really I would suggest for people to read new and old. Make sure that you are balancing the latest book on apologetics with a really old book on apologetics. Make sure that you're balancing a really a cutting edge book on biblical theology with an old book on biblical theology, right? Um, 
that's very important. And also the same can be said about commentaries. You know, when I'm preparing a sermon, I'm not just looking at the latest commentary that was written by the brand new exegetical series that just came out. I want to go back to Calvin. I want to go back to, you know, uh, as far back as I can and study some of these old commentaries and see what they were talking about back then. I would say that that would be a, you know, that would be a very, very important uh, thing to just to, to look out for. So I think that's good and bad, right? <laughs> good and bad. If you yeah. neglect the old, the old guys, that's not, that's not good. If you, if you study the old guys and the new guys in concert, that can be a very good influence on you and you will, uh, you will really reap the benefits of that. Yeah. It sounds like you get a holistic picture seeing, seeing both the perspectives where they intersect and then can unpack and get, it, it's a well-rounded view, right? It allows you to be able to articulate it more and probably understand it at a much deeper level. Yeah. Amen. We're, we're winding down on this episode and we've said a lot, we've, we've covered a lot. And I think as, as we start to prepare for our next episodes and getting even deeper into the topics that we're talking about here, I just want to make sure that we recap and, and really hit it off for some of our listeners who are still asking the question, okay, I appreciate all the information, but where, but again, where do I really start? Because I know for me, it was super difficult when I, before I became, uh, before I was reformed and, and went through all that I'm learning at, at Heritage Grace. So, um, what, what is like a basic level? Like I'm, I just starting studying theology. I'm going to l- stop listening to this episode. I'm going to go to my local bookstore, well, Amazon, and I'm going to order a, a <laughs> <Yeah>. book. <laughs> yeah. What, what is that sure. resource for that person? Or maybe, you know, a couple of, a couple to get started that are ba- basic, uh, rudimentary. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we mentioned a summary of Christian doctrine by Burkhoff. Mm-hmm. I would mention I would mention another resource by Herman Bovink, mm-hmm. and that is the Wonderful Works of God. That's the Wonderful one. Works of God by Herman Bovink is so good for you as a whether you're really young, um, even if you're mature, right? In your theology, you've been going at it for a while. Um, certainly always worth reading Bavink, but Bavink is so unique. So I would, I would, I would just tell people start with Herman Bavink. If you haven't read summary of Christian doctrine, okay, read something like that, uh, kind of get it out of the way, right? Get, get, get some exposure to that. Uh, but, but the wonderful works of God is really important because you're getting an author, you're getting a theologian who is a true, uh, a, a theologian. I mean, a uh, first rate theologian. I mean, Herman, the, the, you know, the way that Herman Bavink thinks and structures his thought, the deep, rich historical theology that he gives you at the same time that he gives you systematic theology, and he throws in elements of biblical theology. Uh, Herman Bavink, wonderful works of God, hard to that's hard to overcome, you know. Um, I would definitely tell a person to go read the Westminster Confession of Faith. Mm. Read the Westminster Confession of Faith cover to cover. I don't care if you're Presbyterian. I'm not Presbyterian. Go read the Westminster Confession of Faith. Get that under your barrel. Or go read the London Baptist Confession of Faith. You need to understand what the Reformers confessed and uh, and to get you going in, in that direction as well. So uh, that's what... I guess that's about as basic of a starting point as I can give people. 
Good. I have, I can attest. Yeah. I have both of those. They're both really good. Um, and, uh, <laughs> they can be used frequently. So great recommendations. Absolutely. Okay. This brings us to the end of episode two on theology, but it's not necessarily the end of our talk of theology because next time we're going to be talking about <laughs> biblical theology and yeah. that episode will be about 10 hours long <laughs> because we'll just be diving in. So, uh, we're, yeah. we're looking forward to that one. Cancel your whole week at work. Uh, that will be a fun one. So, uh, pastor Ramos, anything that you'd want to close us out with here as, uh, as we yes. walk out the doors on this episode of theology. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I would just like to say, you know, for folks, wherever you are in your theological progression, uh, understand this humility. And I, I probably I probably need that more than anybody. But humility is very important. Approach the study of theology with great humility. Understand that even great minds change their mind because they learn something. Right. So we're all of us, all of us are in, are in, in a process of learning and refining and fine tuning. And then be, you know, I'm writing a blog on this very thing right now. Be very, very careful that you do not succumb to the temptation to give in to the, to the instantaneous gratification of our culture that has conditioned us to want things now. That's not how theology works. Theology is not a microwave oven, a TV dinner. A theology takes time and it can actually be grueling. It can be uh, stressful. It can be, um, it can be challenging even for the most intelligent, uh, intelligent person. And so um, I, I think those are the two things. Don't, don't become impatient. Number one. And number two, uh, uh, just understand that theology takes time and that it's absolutely worth it to put the time in. And so I hope that that blesses people. Uh, appreciate it. It's good talking to you, Ryan, as always, and looking forward to our next episode. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We'll see you for episode three on biblical theology. Bye.